The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by Orlando Homes Express, brokered by EXP Realty, proudly serving Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties. Call 407-790-9957 or visit WeSellOrlando.net. What's up, Night fans? Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy with you here as uh, as basketball season rolls along. I wanted to give you guys, well, first of all, thank you fans for your patience because um, we had two basketball games on Wednesday night. So we just went ahead and made the executive decision to um, record this on uh, Thursday morning after the games because UCF was playing a men's basketball game at Wichita State that uh, started for some stupid reason at 10 o'clock Eastern or 10 o'clock Eastern time out in Wichita, which is called TV. Yeah. Well, nine o'clock local. I mean, geez, Louise, man, what are they, what are they doing? So like, like, I mean, UCF's got a home game coming up here in a soon at 9 PM. I mean, that's yeah, well, it's all I, trying yeah. to fill a double here, baby. I get it. But like, oh, God, I don't know, man. Um, anyway, UCF, uh, loses their first game in conference. Um, but, uh, it, you know, at a, in a tough environment in Wichita State, and we'll talk about that. We'll talk about uh, UCF women's basketball continuing their role. They've won their 15th game of the year. They're 15 and two, still undefeated in the conference. Uh, and we'll also talk about the big football news this week with uh, Brandon Wimbush transferring to UCF uh, to play quarterback as a grad transfer from Notre Dame. And our guest in the show today is Joshua Voles. He's the site manager of One Foot Down, which is SB Nation's. Uh, Notre Dame site, and he gave you some great insight on uh, Brandon Wimbush from the time that he's known him um, in South Bend. So, lots to talk about, even though we only have two sports that are actively going on right now. Uh, don't forget to follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com because we are SB Nation's home for the UCF Knights. Follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret, and on Twitter at UCF underscore banneret. Follow us each individually at Jeff underscore Sharon, Spokes underscore Murphy, and Eric Lopez Elo. All right, boys, let's dive on in uh, and talk about men's basketball because uh, last night kind of felt uh, like a trap. And no shame. I don't think there's any shame in losing at Wichita State. I mean, people are going to look at this and be like, what happened? Wichita State's not good. I actually think they are good. They've just gotten off to a to a very, very rough start to the year. Um, you mentioned, Brian, in your article that's on uh, or, or on Twitter, and I think in your article on uh, on uh, Black and Gold Banneret, that this is the first time in 10 years that Wichita State has lost four in a row. They came into the game... Uh, at seven and eight, zero and three in the league, but uh, they shot extraordinarily well. Their defense was excellent, and uh, UCF did not shoot well. Shot just thirty, uh, just thirty four percent in the first half, and uh, fell down early. It was close late, um, but Wichita just kind of kept, kind of stiff armed UCF um, the rest of the way. You watched, you stayed up and watched the game. I watched the game late. Um, and uh, you apparently, Brian, it kept you up all night. Is that true? <laughs> Actually, because I'll tell you what, if you got through the first 10 minutes of the game, which were kind of a slog and there were a lot of fouls and not a lot of baskets, yeah. after the first 10 minutes, it really was a really entertaining sort of back and forth, high energy game. Yeah, it was really um, intense. I mean, I guess that's, you should expect yeah. that at Coke Arena, right? I mean, we know how crazy those fans are, but it was an right. intense ball game. <laughs> 
the crowd made that game really fun to watch because they were totally in it. But, you know, that fan base did not let you know that Wichita State is rebuilding. Uh, this really is a rebuilding year for them. They have nine new players on scholarship. They have only one player on their team, Marcus McDuffie, who averaged at least 15 minutes per game last year. I mean, mm-hmm. this is an entirely different team. But uh, they're so they're going to struggle. They're having growing pains. But that fan base in in Wichita is absolutely rabid for uh, the the biggest show in town, which is that team. Uh, and they they came out, and I think the energy. That, I mean, it's really cheap to say that the crowd is the reason why they won the game. Uh, but I will say at least they they provide they provide a lot of energy that uh, that really. I think the start of the game. I think they uh, it, it frazzled UCF a little bit. They got to a really slow start. The offense was discombobulated. Meanwhile, Wichita State was making some shots uh, that you're just like, well, what else can we do? Uh, right. You couldn't really do anything else better on defense. The defense of the UCF was really good. It's just the other team was making really high, difficult, high, highly difficult shots. And then if that's the case, um, for a team in Wichita State that – Really, you know, I think ranked 11th or 12th in the conference in field goal percentage. Uh, if they're going to do that, and they did it most of the night, then you kind of just say, well, we did our best, they were better, and you move on. Well, Wichita shot, it's funny you say, I mean, Wichita shot 52% for the game. UCF shot yeah. uh, 42 Um Interestingly enough, I thought this was probably the most interesting stat of the whole game. UCF shot more free throws than Wichita State. UCF shot four, yeah. shot twenty free throws. Wichita shot eighteen. Now they made seventeen of them. UCF had a well average night at the line for them. Fourteen out of twenty. Taco Fall was two for four at the line, um, and well, I and he had three of them. Fourteen, fourteen and twenty is above average for this team. Well, yeah, that's true. That's above. That is above their average. But Taco Fall, I, I saw his three free throws late. He looks like he's yeah. kind of figuring out that stroke, which I think was encouraging to see. Leading score for UCF was Aubrey Dawkins, who had another pretty good game. Eight of sixteen, uh, three threes made. He scored twenty two points, um, but he got frustrated toward the end. It was a pretty frustrating game. It did seem like there was just it was one of those games where you know no matter what UCF could do, it just wasn't going to be enough. Yeah, Aubrey. Uh, you know, it's amazing. He had 22 points. He played nine minutes in the first half because of foul problems. He picked up, he picked up two quick early fouls. Yeah. And then, as he is wont to do, he got hot in the second half again, which is just this trend that keeps happening and happening of uh, second half uh, Aubrey. If if we all if we all if if we all really enjoyed uh, second half Randy with our yeah he's he's the Randy Shannon of UCF basketball it's, it's all so second half action. Randy Shannon so but uh, but then, yeah he, then he got he got he, there was a sequence there uh, late in the game about a minute and a half left where you know he had been hot in the second half and he was driving and he gets called for a, for a push off for an offensive foul and so it's a four point game at this point. Mm-hmm. So they lose, they lose the possession there. They go back down the other end, and Aubrey has the rebound in his hands, and it just pops out of of his hands, ends up in McDuffie's hands, uh, and, and he has to foul. Him. And it's just a, a bad stretch for Aubrey there. That really, with a four point gain, if he doesn't call it to the offensive foul push off, or if he gets that rebound, we're looking at maybe a different game. Yusuf gets a bucket there uh, on either trip. And it, it's a two-point game with a uh, 40 seconds to go. Instead, after the foul, 
Uh, McDuffie made two free throws. It was a six-point game, and I think at that point you pretty much knew it was going to be really, really uh, hard to come back from that. Eric, do we? What do we glean from this? Is it? Is it? Is there? Uh, is there cause for concern? I mean, this is the. This feels like it's the third game that, or third opponent that UCF has lost to that they probably should not have lost to, but. I don't agree with no. I mean, you can't, okay. I don't agree with that. Wichita State played well. Wichita State, Wichita State is not going to go winless in the league. I mean, Wichita State's going to win its share of its games, and most of the majority of their wins in the conference is going to come at home. Because I don't know, Murph, if you agree with this, I think it's Wichita State has the best home court advantage in the conference. I think absolutely the best atmosphere. I mean, we saw it up close in Orlando. They took over the yeah. Amway Center. Uh, the American Conference Championship in March when we saw them last year. Uh, that that environment is tremendous. It is a rebuilding year. Murph's right about that. But they still got talented players like McDuffie, who's going to be an All Conference player. And you know, and I ta- and I was on with Austin Cox earlier this week in the Amer- in the uh, AAC Daily. And this ain't you know this ain't football, guys. This ain't football where you can just put a, a W in, in like probably the majority of your conference games. Quite honestly especially in the Eastern Division in football. In the basketball, other than Tulane, I think, everybody else can beat you on a given night if you don't show, you don't play well. And Wichita State played well. They're well coached. They've had success. I think their best basketball is ahead of them. It wouldn't surprise me if Wichita State's season turns around after this game. Um, I'm with Murph. I mean, they made some shots, and that's going to happen when they play at home. They're not going to lose. They should have beaten Temple at home. Uh, people didn't. If they've watched the game, yeah. they, you know, they should have beaten Temple. So I, I think uh, they're learning how to win. And unfortunately, that was a tough spot. You go into Wichita, uh, tough environment. Um, and, I, you know, with all that being said, I mean, UCF had some chances. I, I think I look back in the foul at the end of the half there, guys. They were only down five. And I thought, man, if we could just be down five at the half, all things considered, uh, they would have been in great shape. But they got the, the foul uh, called on, on the three-point shot. And instead of being down five in the locker room, you're down eight going into the halftime, and I thought that was a big moment there in the game. And then once they got back in the second half, Wichita State kind of pushed it to 10 to 12, and UCF was trying to fight back. They made a late run there, but just felt short. But no, I I, I wouldn't be too concerned about it because I felt this week, in all honesty, if they could get a split this week, considering it's a very tricky uh, schedule with you're going all the way to Wichita, now you got to do a quick turnaround for a noon tip at home against Tulsa on Saturday, who's playing very well, by the way. They just knocked off Connecticut. They've beaten Kansas State, who was an Elite Eight team last year, in their resume. So, they're you know, Frank Haith has got them playing well. So this is the one, to me, that's the bigger game is the Tulsa game. you got to protect your home court here in, the, in conference. I'm happy to see that UCF took a charter flight, and I think this is one of the reasons why – you know, people have been clamoring for the charter flights because if you would have had to take a commercial flight out of Wichita, I mean, who knows when you get back? Instead, they're probably back early Thursday and try to focus now on a big game on Saturday against Tulsa. All right, so this is UCF's first conference loss, uh, and they now fall back into a group of five teams with one loss in the conference. Houston, Cincinnati, Temple, 4-1, uh, UCF and Memphis at 3-1. and one. Um, You were st- talking about how... Um, Eric, the conference is really stacked, except for Tulane. Every team in the conference uh, is at double-digit wins and above 500, with the exception of Tulane. 
every team in the conference it has double-digit wins and is above 500, with two exceptions. Wichita State, who now is at 500 overall at 8-8, eight and, eight, eight and, eight, and ECU, who's one game below 500 at 8-9. and nine. Tulane's bringing up the rear at 4-12, four and 0-4, but everybody else is within one game of 500 or better, and uh, and that's where we stand right now. So, um. As we really look forward good. to, yeah, I mean the, the league is really good. good. So, Jeff. but but really are we I mean, are we are we worried about UCF standing in the conference as they head into this Tulsa game uh, on Saturday at noon, or is this is this like a, a, just a, a bump in the road and they'll and they'll be able to get past it? It's a bump in the road in this league. You're going to lose games. I don't care who you are, even the best team, whoever you think it is, whether it be Houston, whoever is going to win this league is going to trip up more than likely three to four times. I think it's a deeper league than it's been. Um, you know, they may not have a, quote, dominant team like a Wichita State was or uh, Cincinnati even last year, although Houston mm-hmm. might argue with that, but we'll, time will tell. But, I mean, look at East Carolina. I don't think they're a great team, but they got a stud freshman player who's probably going to be – could be the freshman of the year in the league. I mean, he, he can carry you on a nightly basis. Yeah. He um, could be the player of the league if he keeps going he's going. <laughs> right yeah. Correct. I mean, you saw Murph up close. I mean, so, Jesus. you know, I, I think Murph actually, if you follow Murph on Twitter, uh, I think he pretty much broke down UCF's uh, situation. And I think the next six games, Murph, and I think you can expand on it. I think you did a great job exp- kind of describing where UCF's at as far as we'll know more probably in the next six games, right? That they will tell the story. Yeah, because of that yeah, stretch, sure. right? Yeah, in this month of January, after this long layoff they've had, they, they have six games in 18 days. They're in the middle of it now, and they're 1-1. One and one. And I think if you look at the six-game stretch of East Carolina at Wichita State to uh, Tulsa at Tulane uh, at Memphis and UConn, uh, you would say, you know what, 4-2 and two there because the road games at Wichita State and Memphis, 4-2 and two there is what, what I expect. If they go 5-1, and one, that is phenomenal. And going undefeated, going six and zero in that stretch was never really realistic. So you can't even think about that. So they're one and one now. I think they can win all their home games because I would say that in this building at UCF, they have, there's a decided advantage over teams like Tulsa and and UConn. Maybe not so much with teams like Cincinnati and Houston, but we'll get that. We'll get there down the road. Um, the, the thing is now uh, with with the loss of Wichita State is that Memphis game is going to be really important to the success of this of this little you know part of the schedule is can they get a win there and so yeah. they're probably gonna go five and one in this trip and we're gonna look at well, the five and one in this stretch and we're gonna look back and say like that that was pretty good well it's yeah, sa- you cannot well first of all you cannot lose at too, too late i mean that is a must win right uh and then you must win your home games and then the memphis one's tricky because as we've talked about on this podcast before uh that is the memphis has not been a place that ucf has played well they did win there for the first time in program history last year. We'll see how they do this year. And guess what? They're going to have to play well there because that's where the conference tournament's going to take place this year. Well, first that game is the, on, that game is on the same time as the Pro Bowl next Sunday. So if you have a watching decision, you really don't have a decision because <laughs> the Pro Bowl is awful. It's good. The Murph off the top Royal rope. Out. Is he going up against the Royal Rumble? I mean, that could yeah. be Murph off no, the top rope on the Pro Bowl there. <laughs> but uh, I will say, also, I will, I will be there. I, I had a decision to make of whether or not I want to go to the Pro Bowl and be a be a volunteer or go to the Memphis game. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to the Memphis game. So I'll be there. Good call. Next Sunday. Good call. So first things first, got to be Tulsa at home. That's noon on Saturday. By yes. the way, doubleheader at CFE Arena with the men's team at noon and then the women's team following that uh, against SMU before the UCF goes to Tulane uh, next Wednesday at 8. And then, of course, uh, Sunday 
at Memphis at 4 p.m. against Penny Hardaway uh, and his team. So uh, UCF right now at uh, 13 and three, three and one in the American and nine and one at home, but one and two away. So we'll have to see how this uh, how this next little stretch uh, plays out. Speaking of the women's team, uh, they also played last night at home in a game that uh, shall we say the highlights will probably not make Sports Center. Um, a win is a win sometimes, and they beat uh, Tulsa 60-44. to uh, K.K. Wright once again uh, led the way for the Knights with, uh, uh, where is it? Oh, yeah, there it is, 18 points on 5 of 16 shooting. UCF actually held Tulsa to 25% shooting for the game, including 0 for 11 in the second quarter alone. Um, but the problem was in this game is that there were some 46 total fouls called. Uh, so Tulsa ended up, uh, t- of, four, of Tulsa's 44 points, 20 of them came at the line. Uh, and for UCF, they were just, uh, believe it or not, they were 17 to 24 uh, from the line. Didn't shoot that much better at 38%. And that's why this game, even though UCF held Tulsa from about midway through the first quarter, through halftime, to no field goals, it was still uh, just a, uh, it, it was still just a 10-point game uh, at the break, and uh, and in fact, Tulsa had cut it to nine by the start of the fourth before UCF uh, finally pulled away. Now Tulsa came into the game uh, undefeated in the American at three and zero, but um, that's a little bit deceptive. They're uh, they're not the best team in the world. They've gotten off to a pretty good uh, start, but right now UCF and UConn are the only two teams remaining in the American in women's basketball unbeaten. Uh, UConn is fifteen and one. And four and zero in the league. UCF is fifteen and two and four and zero in the league. So, um, Eric, I don't know how much of the game you got the chance to to take a look at, but uh, I, I mean, I I think that one of the big issues with this team right now, and I, here I am complaining about a team that's fifteen and two. But what do you do? Yeah, what are you? Are you going to be that guy? I'm going to. Here's what. Here's where I'm going to be that guy. Here's where I'm going to be that guy. This is where I'm concerned. Best start in women's basketball history. You're absolutely. You're absolutely right. But I let me ask you this question: Who is who is the scoring threat aside from KK Wright? Because this is an elite defensive team in the nation, and I mean that they are elite. They're better than UConn on defense statistically, if you can believe that. But offensively, yeah. it's especially in the last month and a half or so, it's all KK Wright and nobody else really. I mean, Kayla Thigpen did come off the bench for fifteen, but um, but most of that was in was kind of in garbage time. Um, I, I just it, 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 when when someone like UConn puts the clamps on KK, who's going to pick up that scoring load? That's what well, I'm concerned I mean, about. UConn's a terrible example because when UConn puts the claims down on anybody, it doesn't matter. Okay, well, well, here's the thing. Well, well, let's 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 say uh, okay, Tulane for example, they're thirteen and four, three and one in the league. If they're capable of, I mean, that's what we don't know. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, you, I could, uh, I would argue to you that the, what you just described just described about two thirds of co- women's college basketball. I think other than the UConn and the elite programs, the top ten, maybe top fifteen teams in the country. I think everybody else has the same questions that you do. It's like, where are we going to get our scoring from outside of maybe our top guard or top forward or maybe at best a second player? Look, 
UCF women's basketball is not going to win by outscoring people. That's not who they are. That's not who they've been under Coach Abe since day one. They are a defensive team first. That's what got them to win the game against Cincinnati uh, prior to this game by holding Cincinnati back. So um, that is nothing new to me as far as where's the offense. It's a real simple question, answer, and that is, you know, KK is going to have to play well, and then they're going to have to get, you know, balanced contributions inside. But they're not going to be a team that's going to light up the scoreboard. Uh, that's just not who they are. And then they don't have to be because I would argue that what you just – that's how you, you have a better chance to win in women's basketball with defense uh, because offense is definitely can come and go very frequently in women's basketball, and I think defense does not. And I think that's why UCF's consistent. They will be in their games. Um, they did what they had to do against Tulsa because I think, to be honest, I think look at what UCF just went through. They had that emotional game against Cincinnati, which was that, you know, uh, down to the wire where KK hits the shot in the last few seconds. Mm-hmm. They pull out a victory uh, after trailing in the fourth quarter. Prior to that, they had the rivalry game against South Florida. So you wondered, were they going to come out flat or maybe not as sharp? And I think that's what happened here in the Tulsa game. And they still won the game by double digits. So because of their defense, and that's the, the key. So um, I'm not as worried about who's the second or third score is going to be because that's, you know, that's pretty much women's basketball in a nutshell. Um, I mean, last year UCF had a similar situation where where was the scoring going to come from? I mean, so uh, that's where they're probably limited, but I don't know if that's, you know, outside of UConn, if that's going to make a big difference in the league, at least at home games, that's going to be the question. Now we'll see as time plays out. You'd like to see other players maybe uh, chip in, but – I'm not as concerned about that as you are because this team is going to go as far as their defense takes them. Yeah, I, I do think that the Cincinnati game was kind of uh, was kind of an indicator of like what what does this team actually look like in a game where they do try and sure. key on KK because you know Cincinnati I thought did a pretty good job of that. They, even though she had what was a, a for her statistically a great game, she was definitely the key. And credit to her because I do think okay, and I've said this before. Katie Lou Samuelson of UConn is probably going to win the conference player of the year. But KK Wright should get consideration for it at the very least because I can say, and and I know what you're going to say to this, Elo, is, you know, I, I can say that, well, KK Wright means more to UCF than Katie Lou Samuelson does to UConn because if you take either player off the roster, uh, UCF is going to be, is going to struggle much more than UConn would. Um, without without Katie Lou, and we saw that in that Cincinnati game where you know she scored the basket with three players on her with five seconds to go, and then on the ensuing inbounds got the steal and threw the and threw the ball ahead, and then that was that. Um, that game against Cincinnati on Sunday was all KK right, um, and, and the, but the situation against Tulsa was just weird. Um, it, it was impressive to see the defense, but it felt like also Tulsa. I know this this is very you know, weird observation from the game. But, I, you know, I did PA for the game, and it seemed like Tulsa, of the shots that they missed, I swear, more than half of their missed shots were in and out. I, I've never seen anything like it, how they had so many, how many shots that, you know, they, they weren't bricks, man. They were, they were, they were halfway down and then bouncing out. I almost thought that somebody should check the height of the basket. I mean, it was, it was one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen, but... Uh, nonetheless, UCF does have that game against SMU coming up on Saturday. Like we said, doubleheader, men's at noon, women's at two, and SM, uh, UCF facing SMU at two. 
uh, on the women's side. SMU is off to a fairly rough start, seven and ten overall, one and three in the league. Very surprising because they just got back their star player, Alicia Froley, who missed all of last year with mm-hmm. a knee injury. She's coming off the bench, and maybe you know, maybe she's t- kind of taking a while to get you know back into the swing of things. But I would have thought with her back, they would be a lot better because she's an all-conference player when she's on her game. But, you know, she might still be recovering, you know, may not, you know, kind of sometimes we have a major injury like that. It takes you a little while to get used to things. But you're right. Uh, I'm curious to see how they come out against SMU, uh, especially since it's going to be right after the men's game. So in theory, it's at 2 o'clock, but it might be a little bit after that. In fact, I pretty much if I had to bet, I think it'll be a little bit after that. So it'll be interesting how the players can stay focused on that. Because you don't know when you're going to be on the court. It's kind of like tennis. Like, you know, you're scheduled to be on at a certain match, but if the match goes long before you, then you're going to have to wait it out. So I think mentally, I'll be curious to see how that team comes out against SMU when they uh, when they tip it off. Yeah. So uh, we'll be watching that. By the way, you know the baby race is during is during the uh, the men's game at noon. Did you guys know that? Is this is this going to be better than dogs catching frisbees? I I think it might be. I know one thing. It's a hell of a lot more intense. I mean, it gets really competitive out there. It's weird. It's tough to top the dog trying to chase down a frisbee. Though. I mean, everybody loves a dog. That was excellent, man. I love they they that guy was at the women's game too. That night, that was awesome. The one dog was ten years old. Can I get a? Can I get like um, a handicappers report on the babies? Can I bet on which one's going to win the race? You're going to have to. I think you got to show up early for the actual like you know pre pre race meeting if you're going to do that. But the, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I I'll put it up yeah. on the Twitter account. Sure, why not? And throw, a little, <laughs> throw, a little, throw a little like ten dollar exact a box. Yeah, we need to know. We we need to know the age. You know. Um, you know, is the kid exactly? But but then we also need to know whether or not the kid is walking or not because walking, I think, is an automatic disqualification. So yeah, um, yeah. so yeah, we need to we need to look that up. All right, so again, double headers Saturday. Uh, don't forget the baby race, which is always fun. Uh, men's at noon, women's at two at CFE Arena. Uh, women's, by the way, plays also Wednesday at ECU at seven. ECU comes into that game. Uh, so ten and six, one and two. Game, so, man. yeah, ADN game on that one. So, uh, so that'll be good to see. And then the game after that on Sunday the twenty seventh at UConn on ESPN two. So, um, hello. So yeah, here we go. Hello. Conference season's firing up. Uh, Four p.m. Weird start. Is that at but, the same time as the men's game? Uh, uh yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think that men's. Wow. Game. Sunday the Sunday the twenty seventh. Checking yeah. the men's schedule because I was on the women's schedule. Oh my! Sunday the twenty. We got the Pro Bowl. You see a men's hoops. You see a women's hoops all at the same time. Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a lot to follow. Yeah, same exact tip time too. That's what's yeah. That the, the men's game is on CBS Sports Network at Memphis at four, and the women's game is on ESPN two at four. So, huh? All right, then. <sighs> decisions, decisions, well, we got, decisions. That's got to get multi multi TV, baby. That's I what know. I would say. I know. Yeah, got, got to set up the got to set up the second one. Get your uh, and get your and get your Wi Fi ready. All right, let's uh, let's take a quick break. We come back. We're going to talk some football. Brandon Wimbush coming to UCF, transferring over from Notre Dame. We've got some insight from our SB Nation colleague at One Foot Down, which follows Notre Dame, Joshua Voles, the site manager of One Foot Down, joins us to talk about Wimbush at Notre Dame and what he thinks uh, he will mean for uh, UCF going forward into the 2019 
season. Stick around. Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is back after this. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by Orlando Homes Express, brokered by EXP Realty. Sam Unger and his team at Orlando Homes Express proudly serve Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties, specializing in buying, selling, and new construction. Sam is a very proud UCF graduate, class of 2006, and he's got a special deal going on right now for the 2018 UCF football season. Night fans, in honor of UCF's 25-game win streak, Sam is running a special for the whole month of December. If you use him as your realtor to buy or sell your home, you'll receive up to $2,500 at closing. So, if you're ready to buy a new home or sell your current home, upgrade or downsize, Sam and his team have you covered so you can find the right home at the right price in the right location. So give them a call right now at 407-790-9957. Again, that's 407-790-9957. Or visit them on the web at WeSellOrlando.net. Again, that's WeSellOrlando.net. You can also reach them on Facebook at Facebook.com slash WeSellOrlando. Get in touch with Orlando Homes Express today and make finding your dream home a reality. Hello, Night Nation. I'm Andrew Fegley. And I'm Trace Trolko. Um, uh, um, where are we? This isn't our usual spot. It looks like we've landed in the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of those guys. You know, Nightline has UCF sports covered. Week in and week out, we bring you interviews with newsmakers and in-depth analysis of UCF sports. Subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Nightline on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Trace, can we go back to the 1148 studios now and start working on our next all-new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go Knights! Charge on. Now back to you guys in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez uh, here with you. Blackandgoldbanneret.com is the site. We are SB Nation's home for the UCF Knights. Uh, once again, don't forget to follow us at facebook.com slash black and gold banneret and UCF underscore banneret on Twitter. And uh, don't forget to follow us individually at Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez Elo, uh, and Spokes underscore Murphy. Well, the news came in. We mentioned it uh, earlier on in the show, but um, we get to go in depth with it a little bit more now. Of course, Brandon Wimbush has uh, announced he will transfer. Uh, to UCF from Notre Dame. He's a graduate transfer, so he will be immediately eligible for the 2019 season. And uh, all indications are he will indeed compete uh, or, or compete quite well for the starting quarterback job at UCF with uh, Daryl Mack, of course, um, who had the finish to the end of last season. Joining us now, this is what this is what's great, Elo, about being part of SB Nation. And I always say this is. There's just an army of people who cover other schools at your disposal, and uh, yeah. and and we have just the guy to talk about Brandon Wimbush uh, right here with us, Joshua Voles. He is uh, the managing uh, editor. Is that right, Joshua? The managing editor of One Foot Down, the uh, UC, uh, excuse me, the Notre Dame site on uh, SB Nation. Oh, actually. I'm sorry. I got your name. I got your title wrong. Site manager, emperor, and supreme warlord. Yeah, and defender of the faith. I got you. Okay, okay, good. I got it. Yeah, I, got it. Yeah, I mean, I got a medal for all of them, so you can throw <laughs> that all in there. 
do you have one of those like Soviet style like uniforms with where the guys are pinning the medals all the way down to their pants? It's great. I do, <laughs> but only my wife has seen that. <laughs> we uh, so hey, listen, thank you for so much for joining us. Um, you yeah, guys do fantastic work at uh, onefootdown.com. Joshua, by the way, you can follow him at the Subway Domer on Twitter, uh, D O M E R, the Subway. Oh. Domer, uh, the burner account, right? Right. So, so tell us about uh, Brandon Wimbush. You've seen him for four years at Notre Dame. Um, obviously, a lot of hoopla down at UCF. I, I think much of it comes from you know just the idea of oh my gosh, the starting quarterback at one point in Notre Dame is transferring to UCF. Um, we know how talented he was. He, you know, in high school, he was um, Gatorade uh, f- uh, football, high school football player of the year in the state of New Jersey. He's from Teaneck. He went to St. Peter's Prep um, in Jersey City. Um, had a pretty darn good 2017, and then things kind of got squirrely on him in 2018. We'll get to that in a second, but just tell us the cliff notes on Brandon Wimbush uh, from a, from an, a Notre Dame perspective. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I think I think you guys should be really excited, uh, you know, to get someone like Brandon as a, you know, as a as a graduate transfer. I mean, he he is extremely talented. He is a dynamic athlete who instantly has the capability of you know taking the ball, you know, to the house, you know, when he's uh, when he's on the move. Um, for during his high school career, he was well, he was pretty well known as being an accurate passer. I, I want to say he he threw he was he was really close to setting the national uh, record for completion percentage in high school. I, I somewhere around there it was a close uh, close one. So when he came to Notre Dame, we were kind of expecting you know expectations were ridiculously high, and at Notre Dame it's, it's even it's even more ridiculous. I mean it's, it goes beyond anything you really can imagine. I mean the pressure that that it gets put on a blue chip quarterback like this when they arrive in South Bend. So, uh, but like players coming out of high school, regardless of the recruiting ranking, you know, he just needed time to develop, to learn the offense, speed of the game. I mean, just, and he came from a great school at St. Peter's prep. I mean, that's a, that, that's a school that turns out division one talent so, and they play high competition. So it's not like he went from, you know, Indiana until one a or whatever to, mm-hmm. to there. So, but, you know, so he needed time, and Notre Dame had a kind of a situation in 2015. You know, with a starting quarterback being Malik Zaire, he goes down quickly in week two, and all of a sudden insert Deshaun Kaiser, and Brandon Wimbush was basically elevated to your number two quarterback in, two, in the 2015 season, and went through the whole season with Kaiser. So he 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 early on in Notre Dame, he started getting was getting prepped you know, to play. I mean, it's, a lot of times these guys are sitting back to play in scout team, you know, their freshman year, obviously not, you know, now the whole range, you know, Trevor Lawrence and all that, that, that wasn't, this wasn't the type of case for this blue chip quarterback. So, but fast forward, um, he actually sat out the entire um, 2016 season. They wanted to get, they wanted to get a red shirt on him. So you guys can thank that decision for getting in now. Mm-hmm. Um, they made sure that they, there wasn't a new rule where you know where he's able to get a few games in. They made sure they sat him um, to make sure they got that redshirt year. So 2017 rolls around and expectations are high, and really Wimbush was delivering. Uh, the Georgia game aside, 
he played pretty well. He played within the system. His completion percentage, though, was what the big big problem was. He, he was only completing about 50% of his passes, um, which we'll find out that it's just a, it was a, it's a signature of Brandon Wimbush's playing style, I suppose. Um, and so, but you could just see, you know, in 2017, the speed, he ran for like 200 some odd yards against DC. He, he was just an incredible athlete, but he had some decision-making um, difficulties too on like a spread read and, or on the spread option and all that, he, you know, would just, he would hold what he should, what he should have let go. He just, you know, get all sorts of quick uh, split decision, timing decisions that he just didn't have quite down. Um, but Notre Dame had a great season in 2017. I mean, they, they would have beat Stanford on the road there at the end. You know, you're talking maybe even after the, um, you know, the Miami loss, they were still, a chance for them to, you know, to make the playoffs. And that was his first year of, of, you know, starting. So, you know, you're looking at a guy who can, I've said it over and over again, with his feet, can extend plays, make plays, and has just an incredible way of moving the ball. Now, But his throwing accuracy is a little suspect. Yeah, and uh, it, it, it's usually there's it, it's more or less the short his short intermediate passes. He has a cannon for an arm. So I mean, on a lot of deep balls, he was which was way better than what we had of what uh, Ian booked to this year throwing it you know throwing it down the field in against the corners to really throw a deep ball. So you, you got a strong arm, you got a dynamic athlete, and I think if you can dial into the accuracy issues which could be an extension of a whole bunch of different things. You know, you've really got a solid quarterback on your hands. Yeah, you know, I, w- I went back on that, um, that, that senior year that he had at St. Peter's Prep. Sorry, Eric. Um, he was 192 of 265 passing in his senior year at St. Peter's Prep. That's 72.4%. Fast forward, yeah. like you said, to 2017, and as basically the full-time starter, he was under 50%, 49 half. Um, still amassed 2,600 yards uh, of total offense and 30 touchdowns, 16 passing, 14 running. But you know, Which but yeah, you're right. Record, by the yeah, way. yeah, and but that's still, and yeah, and that's saying something. But I mean, it's still kind of head scratchy, just like you were saying. Go ahead, Eric. I'm sorry. Well, I wanted to ask. You know, you mentioned the completion percentage. How much of that is the Brian Kelly's offense? Because you know, I've talked to people over the last couple of days about this, and there I've seen where some people suggest that the Brian Kelly offense is not the easiest to have a high completion percentage because he likes to go vertical so deep. And I think there's only been like two quarterbacks that have had a high percentage as far as completion percentage under Brian Kelly. And look, let's be honest, this is the third Notre Dame quarterback that's transferred out of there, and it's come to the Sunshine State since 2015 with every Golson and Malik Zaire, and that's kind of the, the the interesting. Do you think the Brian Kelly offense in, contributed to the low completion percentage, perhaps? Okay, let me walk you back a few things that okay. uh, most people are mistaken on. Number one, it's not the Brian Kelly offense. It's Chip Long offense. I mean, what, once Chip Long took over in 2017, it's Chip Long's offense. Brian Kelly hasn't been the play caller since 2014, I believe. Anyway, so not even in 2013. But he had a much more influence in what plays are called. I mean, it's a it's a head coach, you know. So he chimes in, "Hey, you're gonna run this, you're gonna run that." But the, the primary play calling duties, 
hasn't been on Brian Kelly's plate since I, I believe 2014. I could be wrong on that. But as far as Wimbush goes, his primary play caller was Chip Long in these last two years. Plus, it was a brand new offense, not dissimilar to what Brian Kelly liked to do, but it, it's a, it was a different offense, and that was his first year as a starter to be, you know, to begin with. So here's some, something you've been prepping for, and even that redshirt year when you're sitting out and you're learning offense and you're doing these things, and the next thing you know, here comes a new offensive coordinator in for you um, to, for the se- for the season that you're supposed to be taking over as the king. You know that that makes a I, I would say that makes a, at least a little bit of a difference. I don't know how much, but it, it does, does make some. But no, this isn't Brian Kelly's offense. This is Chip Long's offense, and you can see that with you know he. Chip Long coming from Memphis, which you guys should be familiar with when he was down there. There's a lot more RPOs involved in, in that offense. Yeah. And I think that was the, tr- I think that's what tripped Brandon more than anything was learning to play within that, the RPO game where he was, I think, I really think he just had to think too much about, you know, is he, is he running? Is he handing off or is he passing? I think, there was just, I think there was too many reads going on in there. And he's a bright kid. Don't get me wrong. I, he's one of my favorite people to, you know, ever at a post game to listen to talk because he, he really puts a lot of thought in, in what he says. And as far and going back to some other things, dude, quarterbacks transfer all the time. And the, the three you just mentioned, Brandon Wimbush, who got beat out, Everett Golson, who was just on the decline and didn't work out at Florida State anyways, and Blake Zaire, who had a huge issue with the fact that Deshaun Kaiser, who was a better quarterback, won his job. So yeah, these guys, <laughs> the guys leave, but it's because they got beat out. So it's not like <laughs> in this day and age, no quarter. I mean, does Nick Saban have a quarterback issue because Jalen Hurts left? I mean, mm-hmm. quarterbacks aren't sticking around to sit around. So it, to me, that's, I mean, that's just college football as we know it, you know, in, in this lifetime, you know, in this age, 2018, these guys ain't sticking around. So let's let's go back to all right. So the end of 2017, Notre Dame is in the bowl game against LSU, and and Wimbush gets yanked in favor of Ian Book. Notre Dame comes back, uh, wins the game on a last second touchdown, and they head into 2018 with Wimbush as the start. He has a pretty good game against Florida State, but then. It all just came apart, and then Brian Kelly decides to make the move, having not lost a game yet, by the way. Um, Brian Kelly decides to make the move, benches Wimbush for good in favor of Ian Book, and Notre Dame finishes out the regular season undefeated before losing to Clemson. What happened where Brandon Wimbush went from the starter to suddenly falling out of favor? Yeah. I mean, as as you probably know, he's – 13 and three as a starter at Notre Dame. So right. it's a pretty decent record. Uh, as you know, going back to what you mentioned in the bowl game there, the, there was a game plan set in place for LSU where they were going to use a little bit more book. They were not wrote not rotating or platooning, but they were going to insert him in the game. And from all reports that we were given was that Wimbush was struggling through migraines that entire week leading up to. And, I, I know it's an easy excuse, and people can take it for what it is, but if you ha- have migraines or know people that have migraines, they are no joke. And playing football at that level with migraines is, I don't know how any of those guys do it. So that was what was going on there. He got into the game. He struggled greatly. 
against a really good defense at LSU. And so the, he got pulled, you know, plain and simple. But what's telling about that was he was still Brian Kelly's. He was still, this is our guy heading into, you know, 2018. I mean, without question, you, a lot of times you would see something like that happen. And especially with Brian Kelly, he'll, he'll play that coach's game of, well, we're just going to see what we have in spring and kind of have almost like a, even like a mock quarterback competition where everybody knows who the starter is going to be, but just to try to make some competition, they'll make some, some stuff up. And it was, that wasn't the case at all this spring. It was Brandon Wimbush was number one period all through spring. So then we get into fall camp and the same thing. I mean, and Ian book wasn't really even, he was rarely mentioned outside of fans debating who should start. You know what I mean? Like when, Notre, when information was coming from Notre Dame, it was all Wimbush all the time. And so we get into fall camp and we really don't get to see a whole lot of, you know, this day, you know, the way they run it is there's only a few glimpses during fall camp. So you get to get to see these guys working out. There's no practices during the season, but towards the end of fall camp, <laughs> there was something that was pretty noticeable. And that was when they were watching Ian book was just, way more accurate with his throws than, than Brandon was. And so and it, it got to the point where the media was bringing it up more and more and more about, uh, you know, was this just a bad practice or was this, you know, and it almost seemed like they were making excuses for why Brandon wasn't, wasn't performing as well in practices as what Ian Book was, yet there wasn't even a question about who was going to be starting against Michigan. Hmm. So Brandon starts against Michigan was incredible against Michigan, really. I mean, the, the stat line says one says good game, but in reality, it was a great game. Uh, what he did with his feet on third down, moving the ball, the way they pressed it early on in that game. I mean, they, we beat the crap out of Michigan. I don't care what the score says. That was, I was there. I was in the press box. <laughs> I was licking glass. It was it was a beat down, and then just settle down. So, <laughs> game two comes up. It's Ball State. And what? And all the only thing you heard out of Notre Dame that whole week, leading up to the Ball State game, and it was, I, it's you know hindsight's twenty twenty now, but everybody was involved. In the conversation was, you know, how many freshmen are we going to get in? You know, how are we? Get, I mean, this was even coming from Notre Dame, from Brian Kelly and the coaches themselves. Right. They're all game planning for at one point where they're going to be up, where they could start putting guys in because of the, that whole new, you know, redshirt rule. So we're trying to figure out, this is the game where we're going to get some guys in, blah, blah, blah. And in that game, too, it was a whole different game plan for Brandon. It was like they put the handcuffs on his ankles. Or they, were, they didn't want him running. There was, no, there was absolutely zero planned run call, or, you know, quarterback runs. And he went out scrambling instead of just doing what he normally does and would take off for 25, 30 yards. He would just kept scrambling around trying to find a receiver. It was the game plan was for that game was for Brandon to probably boost his confidence and, and get going, throwing the ball. And what they did is they, they, he's not that quarterback, you know, they needed to really just need to let Brandon be Brandon. And instead of, they were trying to buckle him down just for that game. You know what I mean? They wanted to see what they had and what they had was, I think they found out was that it's a quarterback that, that needs his whole game to be effective. And he's not going to beat a team with just his arm. Um, and he's not going to beat a team with just his legs either. 
Then the game three, Vanderbilt, same struggles. And, you know, it was, it, it was pretty, it was pretty evident that all hopes that we had for, for him to improve from what Notre Dame had, or, and Kelly had said he had improved, were kind of dissipating at that point as far as his accuracy was, accuracy was concerned. And I, we're talking a second game in a row where the play calls from Chip Wong probably weren't benefiting, um, you know, Brandon at any, at any point. Just the, the different types of calls. That, I, when you're not using your best skill set for a player at any point, what are you really doing? Right. So they make, so they made the switch to Ian Book and things take off. Now, I tell you all that, so I can tell you, tell you this. Back in fall camp, Notre Dame, basically Ian Book won the job. Like quietly, you know, behind closed doors, mm. Ian Book won the job with Chip Long, and it's a it's a Brian Kelly decision. And what ended up happening is we didn't know what we had against Michigan. We hadn't played Michigan in a few years. Great defense, and they were pretty convinced that we were going to need Wimbush's legs to beat a team like Michigan with the way their front especially the way that Michigan was propped up, you know, in the preseason with their, uh, you know, their defensive front, they were pretty sure that there wasn't going to be a whole lot of pocket there. So, you know, you use Brandon in that case, and it worked out perfectly. I mean, it worked out exactly how, how they had planned. And what they, you know, they said, we need him for this, and it did exactly. Interesting. But then, you know, but then he wins the next two games, and how do you bench a guy? How do you bench a guy who's undefeated, who's 3-0, who had, who had given you a, you know, a big time season the, the year before? How do you bench a guy? For right. Winning? Yeah. Like I mean, the game two against Ball State. I mean, even though he threw he threw the three picks, it's like, you know, he won the game against Michigan. He had the he, like. How, how do you? Yeah, you're right. How do you turn around after he beats Michigan, a top fifteen team, and say, okay, son, hit the bench? <laughs> you're right. Well, I mean, I, I mean, it's it, 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 what I'm saying. I guess my point of that is, is it's a hard thing to do. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, just PR-wise, taking the kid into the room, and the, he's just looking at you like, you know, we're winning. But what they wanted to do offensively wasn't coming, wasn't happening with him. Okay, so mm-hmm. then they, they go to – it's almost like a different offense. It was a whole different offense that next weekend. I mean, it's Wake Forest, and they fired the defensive coordinator after the game. <laughs> after the game. But it was, a uh, you know, just a, an explosion of offense. You know, when you're, you score 24 against Michigan, which is, you know, which is fair, which is respectable, but you're only scoring, you know, 24 and 27 against Ball State and Vanderbilt, you know, there were some issues there. So it, it was some, you know, it took a lot of guts for Kelly and Long really to do what they did, but th- that was the whole reason. I mean, it, it really could have been Book starting against Michigan, but I don't know if we beat Michigan with, with Ian Book starting that game. I think it really took Brandon Wimbush. And then you look to the game at, against Clemson, you almost, you almost feel like you look back like, man, they should, should – they never would have because how do you explain that? But it always feels like Brandon Wimbush, not to say you would, beat, you would have beat Clemson, but they were in that game going into the second quarter, you know, 23 touchdowns with Julian Love out in the second quarter. Mm-hmm. But with a different kind of offense, legs to help against that front seven, which was just brutal – you thought you would have had a better chance with him, just like in that Michigan game. So it was—it was been a crazy, crazy two years um, 
with Brandon, but I mean, you're, he's just a, he's a great kid and a team first guy. And, you know, coming against Florida State this year, I mean, he, he could have been absolutely jumped after, you know, five games of sitting on the bench. And, you know, Ian goes down with an injury. He's going to come in and here comes Brandon having to start again. He's incredible. His attitude, it was senior night. I mean, it, it was a, a really a great moment for him. And it showed exactly what kind of person he is because he, wa- he wasn't rusty. You know, mm-hmm. he wasn't just, you know, just flying or, you know, just hanging back, waiting to get the year over so he could transfer. He had been doing what he had said, preparing every week like he was the starter. So he, he was following in on his word. So he, he really is a good, he's a great, great addition to a team, really. Wow. Do you think his le- uh, he would still be the starting quarterback at Notre Dame if the Miami game never happens? Because I remember that was such a hype game. Notre Dame was in position to make the playoff that year, and Wimbo struggled. That was a rough night for Notre Dame, and it, it feels like the way you're describing this to some extent, maybe ever since then, there- I remember even after that game, and you know how you know this. The national media always likes to pile on Notre Dame the second they lose a game. Well, you see, they don't belong on the field. They just don't, you know, and things like that. And I remember there was a lot of backlash about Wimbush's throwing then after the Miami game. Do you think maybe in the back of coaches' mind, and maybe some people's mind there after the Miami game, that there was doubt that you can win with Wimbush long term? Uh, I think there's some, but I think. For those in the program, and, and certainly I think for a lot of us that follow the program I, as closely as we do, that was an entire team pants pooping, you know. That, <laughs> that wasn't just Brandon. I mean, we got, you got two top ten NFL picks sitting on your offensive line. And it, it, everybody crapped the bed that night. And you, it was a perfect storm of walking down there with probably too much of a – you know, you're beating your chest probably a little too hard. And Miami and Miami just rose to the occasion like Miami hasn't risen to the occasion in a decade. And they ran into a buzzsaw. I mean, I, I don't I don't know if there was any quarterback, honestly, that was going to beat Miami that night, you know, that could have played for Notre Dame. But that you're exactly right. That game starts putting the starts putting the, whatever doubt you had in you know, in mind and it just keeps growing. And it didn't help the next week, you know, you go out to Stanford or two weeks later, you, you know, you go out to Stanford and you're up in the fourth quarter, a couple turnovers later, you end up losing by 18. So, so I, that combination of those three weeks really kind of it, it got some of that discussion, you know, going for sure. Yeah. What do you think that, you know, now that he has one year here at UCF, he's going to be playing in Josh Heupel's offense, which, you know, I I mean, I don't know how much of UCF you watched this year, you know, outside of Notre Dame, but this is a, this is a high pace offense that, you know, it does rely, it does on occasion rely on some of those RPOs, but Josh Heupel does like to throw vertical at times. At least he likes to go a lot more vertical, vertical a lot more often, I should say than his predecessor, Scott Frost, did. Um, what what about Brandon Wimbush, in your opinion, would make him, uh, makes him a good fit for an offense like UCF's? Yeah, well, first of all, I think Hype was a good coach. So I, I, I think he steps into a great situation as far as 
who his head coach is. And that's mm. the nice thing about grad transfers is you get a cherry pick, you know, your best fit like no other time before. You know, you, you're, you're sold such a bill of goods in recruiting. But in, th- in this way, he's able to pick the program he absolutely thinks is, is you know, the best fit for every spot. So I, I think Heifel is a good, you know, a good coach for Brandon. Um, you know, and I, I think what I had said before about it, if you throw in too much onto a plate, I, I think that it's, you know, user, there's some user error there. And, as, and I think a good coach w- knows that. And I don't think there's any changing that, you know, there's, I don't think there's a whole lot you can do to make him do, you know, four reads in eight seconds, you know, especially when you only got, you got one year left in him, Right. So it's not like you're talking about a sophomore that you got a year or two, you know, development. This is your one year with this guy. So I think he's going to use his best skill set. So I think you're going to see a lot of him on the, you know, on the move with his feet. And it's going to be like a, like a two read scenario. Are you throwing it? Or are you running? I think, and in his, in Eiffel's case where he does like to go vertical, like you said, yeah, you got a guy who has the arm to do that. And I think that, you know, it is, <laughs> I, I think if you, I'm not, I, I really don't know what, uh, what your schedule, I know you guys play stamp. Stanford, but anything else outside the uh, American. But I think who you're playing against, I think that kind of skill set there where you guys have some athletes on the edge, that's definitely going to work for you. I think that's your that's your best, best bet with Brandon is use his legs, press the ball down deep. So I think you're going to see a lot of that. Yeah. Well, UCF starts with uh, Florida A&M on August the 31st at home at FAU September 7th, and then they step it up with Stanford at home on the 14th and then at Pitt on the 21st before they go into conference play. And they start conference – well, we don't know what the conference schedule is going to look like just yet, but um, – You go independent anyway. <laughs> yeah, right. Why are you guys even in a conference? Go independent. No, 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 no. I have, I have a better idea. How about you guys – Schedule a home and home with us. How about that? Oh, hey, that's <laughs> <laughs> I, I got no, pro- I got no problem with that. It's it's I apparently it's apparently easier for Notre Dame being an independent than it is for some of the other schools in our state. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, it's hey, it's a tough life. So people people tell it. That's what always cracks you up about opposing fans when they're yelling at Georgia Conference. It's too it's too easy for you. No, it's it's actually harder. But thank you. <laughs> you know, it's a it's a it's a rough life. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, yeah, it's a rough guys, life with that gigantic television contract from NBC every year. It's not that, it's, it's not that gigantic. It's it's hell. Purdue makes more money than we do from television, right? All right, you know you're talking it's, to you know you're talking to a team a of the American life. Athletic Conference, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Go independent. Stick around. I mean, Amazon's always looking. You could go independent and be like the first. You sign on to like Netflix, right? You know what I mean. You guys got a huge undergrad. I I, I don't know how why you guys uh, you guys doing sticking around in the American. Get out of there. <laughs> let's let's write, <laughs> writing down writing down these notes there. All right. I'm gonna I'm, I'm, I'm gonna start recruiting for independence. Just go independent. Well, hey, we we, we'll, go, we, we'll, we we'll go back we'll go back to 1990. You know when you got 15 solid independent. Right. Yeah. There. One third of Division One A was independent. Joshua Vols uh, the at the Subway <laughs> Domer on Twitter. Uh, make sure you follow him and make sure you follow One Foot Down too for uh, uh, the latest on Notre Dame from uh, from uh, SB Nation. Uh, and uh, Joshua, uh, we'll, um, thank you so much for your insight on Brandon Wimbush. 
I know that, you know, kind of watching the coverage of uh, when he transferred, there, was a, there were a lot of well wishes coming out of Notre Dame. I think Brian Kelly also, you know, was particularly conciliatory. So that was good to see. And uh, I know that I know that you guys are hoping that he performs well at UCF. And I know we are, too. He's going to have a tough competition, I think, in the spring. But but the word is he's actually already enrolled at UCF and he will um, be participating in spring practice. So at least he'll get a, yeah, you a jump on that. Yeah, you guys have a ton of, uh, of new fans, I'll say that, because you can say whatever you want about Notre Dame and Notre Dame fans, but they really, and they really, really like to see their players succeed in football, life, NFL, whatever it is. It's, 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 and I'm not an alum, but it's, it really is something the way they support post school. You know, the big, the biggest thing for everybody involved is, you know, Hey, did he graduate? Well, yeah, he's leaving with his degree. Actually, and with that in with that in hand, it, it comes an even greater respect level from fans, from alumni, and so they're, people are going to be following UCF this year. Uh, you know, up in South Bend. I mean, it, it's it's going to be you'll see a lot of Braden Wimbush updates on message boards and and all that. They're they're really going to want to uh, want to every people want to see him do well. So if he's doing well, if that's the case. He's doing well. You guys are doing well. So. You got uh, you guys got a whole bunch of ghost fans at least for one year. See, Eric is the guy who follows the TV ratings and he follows it market by market. So we're going to be keeping an eye on that South Bend market and uh, Chicago <laughs> in particular, and also in the Northeast because you know, I'm originally from the Northeast, and uh, I mean you know how college football is basically a black hole in like the New York metro area, <laughs> with the exception of once you get past Philadelphia, right? With the exception of Notre Dame. You know, I mean, all my family, they, they you know, they don't, they, they don't watch college football, but they watch Notre Dame and, um, you, know, you know, all up in Northern New Jersey and everything. So I know that we'll be keeping an eye on that. And, uh, and yeah, like I said, thanks for Brandon Wimbush. <laughs> yeah. Hey, and our problem is Notre Dame fans seem to only watch Notre Dame right. and, have no, and have no clue about what happens outside of it. So yeah, I, I wish nothing but the best for Brandon. I hope he, hope he does a great job for you guys. I'm, and I'm telling you, he is a great kid. A fantastic individual. So, um, you know, good luck with it to you guys and to him. All right. Thanks, Joshua. Joshua Voles of uh, One Foot Down, SB Nation's Notre Dame site, at the Subway Domer on Twitter. Joshua, thank you so much for joining us, man. Enjoy the offseason, and uh, let's catch up again sometime. Will do, man. Absolutely. All right. Thanks again to uh, Joshua Voles for joining us uh, from One Foot Down uh, again and giving us some insight on uh, – Brandon Wimbush. Murph is back here joining us once again to talk about this from a UCF perspective. Um, when Wimbush made the announcement, it seems like with with the whole, it's like it's like free agency, right? I mean, it, um, everyone was like, "Oh, Jalen Hurts," uh, or maybe, uh, or maybe the um, I forget it was the other kid that they were looking at, but um, Justin Fields. Justin Fields, yeah, thank you, the kid from Georgia. But, you know, Wimbush kind of was you know, you're like, oh, yeah, he's in the portal, too. And then he decides to make the uh, he decides to make the move. I, I saw the 247 piece um, from uh, irishillustrated.com where they talked about how, you know, he came to UCF and and Jeff Levy and Josh Heupel really kind of wowed him. But he kind of had his poker face on. And then all of a sudden, Monday, it starts happening that he he's canceling all of his other visits, including some schools like Penn State. Uh, Joshua mentioned Georgia Tech, uh, and he comes to UCF. So I guess what, at first glance, Brian, what does this mean for UCF's uh, quarterback situation heading into 2019 with Daryl Mack, you know, having 
let's face it, won a conference championship, um, now getting some serious competition from a grad student who played at Notre Dame. Well, it means that uh, Daryl Mack, let's face it, played three games, uh, get some competition. Uh, I think you can cut it either way, right? Like, they need a competition uh, from a guy who has experience. If something were to befall Mack, similar to what happened to Mackenzie Milton last year, uh, they would be left in a lurch kind of with Dylan Gabriel's true freshman. Quadri Jones has been on the field for exactly one play in his college career. He threw a touchdown uh, pass, to be fair. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, they need – I think we've, we've talked about this, and I know you've been against them bringing in uh, a, a quarterback because of, of what it says about Mac and, and what is Mac's reaction to it. And honestly, we don't know. But if Mac is confident enough in, in his ability, he can go out and win this job, which is a, which is also an opportunity he never had when Mackenzie Milton was healthy. True. So really, if he if you know he's still in a better position than he was at this time last year, and now he can go win the job. Uh, and, and really, you look at Brandon Wimbush, and the stats don't allow you. So it's not like uh, Wimbush is some sort of like irresistible force. Um, and so, so, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens with, with, with that competition, but I think competition was necessary. Moreover, I think experience was necessary and that's moreover why they, why they said, why this happened. Secondly, the most, I think the most, really the most important part to all of this. And I, Jeff, I know you disagree because we talked about this, uh, in, uh, in our group chat over the weekend. The reason why this is significant for UCF is it's, it's just another, it's another, uh, benchmark of where this program is at that a player like Brandon Wimbush, who was recruited as a top, I think top seven quarterback in the nation and went to Notre Dame. And, and as a starter had a lot of success, a lot of success in 2017. Uh, and now he's transferring and could pick a school that he wants to go to has chosen UCF. He's going from Notre Dame to UCF. And I think that is the reason why a lot of people around this program are getting excited. And I know smart people agree with me on this, like Zach Goodall, our our compatriot here, that <laughs> this that this is important because of what it says about the type of athlete that UCF is not only open to, but the, the but what uh, or, or have, that UCF can now be considered along with those uh, by those four and five star players and by those high high level transfers at these blue blood schools that you can come here now and 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 you can be maybe in a better position. Uh, to win a lot, and and that's just it's it's kind of amazing when you just in a short span of time of what has changed, and it's just another another one of those things that uh, that how how far this program has come, and I think that's what makes it most exciting. Elo, how do you view this? Is is this an indictment of uh, of you know I don't know Mac or maybe the guys behind him like Quadri Jones, for example, or? Uh, or, or or is this just kind of one of those things where it's like, look, we have the chance to get this kid. He's really talented. This is gravy as far as we're concerned. Well, first of all, for those that have just started, you know, that started following the college uh, UCF program, maybe I don't know, two three years ago, and you know, <laughs> don't know that the program existed twenty some years ago. I would point out that Marquette Smith transferred from Florida State to UCF in the mid nineties. So this is not Eric throwing <laughs> shade on everyone. Oh man. <laughs> Well, I just I love how everybody's like, "Wow, this isn't a landmark moment for the program." Like, get out! Like, the program's fine. Like, 
players are transferring all over the place. I mean, they, they, they want to play. So I, I wouldn't – people are reading way too much into that stuff. I, I, I mean, for crying out loud, we've got a – I mean, a kid, the USF quarterback just transferred to Sanford. Is that a landmark moment for Sanford football? I mean, come on. I mean, so people want to play. Um, uh, so I, from that standpoint, I don't, I don't really – get too caught up in like it doesn't matter it, i i think everything you uh, but everything else you know what murph said is right i mean there needs to be competition i think look they're lacking depth that's why i said there was an 80 percent chance they were going to bring a quarterback because they feel they can get back to the new year's six bowl next year they feel they can win the new year's six bowl next year they feel they can win the conference next year it's not like we're retooling or rebuilding and one of the big question marks on the roster was the quarterback position there are questions whether mac can be your guy or not there's questions about the depth because you don't have any. You don't know what you have behind Mac right now. Now you do. Um, by the way, Wimbush is a talented freak. This is a kid that led Notre Dame to a top five ranking going into a showdown against Miami in 2017, as we talked about in the interview. Uh, he's a tremendous runner. He ran for over 800 plus yards in the, that year. Uh, he beat USC in a national profile game and beat uh, Sam yeah. Darnold led USC team. He's beaten Michigan as a starter. I mean, the guy's pretty accomplished. So, yeah, if you're Josh Heupel and Jeff Levy and you're UCF and you've got a chance like, wow, we got a chance to get a talented quarterback, you take it to try to improve your team and make sure that your team accomplishes goals. Because here's the reality, Jeff, and you may not like this, but the standards have changed now at UCF. You have to win the American Conference, or many of the fan base will consider it a disappointment or a failure. Oh, I don't think the, I don't I don't think the standards have changed at all. I think we I think we've known that for a while. It's just now it's well, considered I, realistic. I, 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 but now I think people even be more. It used to be where hey, if you're nine and three, it's okay. It's ten and two, okay, that's fine. Now I think people will generally it'll be considered a disappointment, fairly or not. It is what it is. They have to win the conference at least and get to the New Year six. Uh, at least, at least for next year, I think that's the goal. So, I think Brandon Winbush gives them a chance to do that. I think it's um, you have to. It's a good competition. I personally think Winbush was the would be is going to be the starting quarterback because I think if all things are equal, I think if Winbush learns the playbook, and I think they'll improve his passing accuracy, which is really the question with Winbush is is able to throw the football. Everybody says he has a strong arm. Well, that works in a vertical passing game, which is what Josh Heupel likes to run. He's a gifted runner. He's a weapon as a runner. So all we got, he's got great weapons around him. Let's be honest, he's not going to play the schedule that he did at Notre Dame. He's not going to be playing top-notch defenses. It's a great setup for everybody. And I think that's why I think Wimbush is going to be the starter. And and Murph's right. If you're Daryl Mack, I mean, you still got it. It wasn't like anything was going to be given to you. I mean, a year from now, people didn't, nobody even thought you would start until 2020 at the earliest. So um, let's play it out in the spring. We'll see how it works out, and uh, time will go. I can't wait, by the way, till 2021 to find out which next Notre Dame quarterback comes to the Sunshine State and plays <laughs> Miami or South Florida because that's the new trend now, apparently. we got the third Notre Dame quarterback to go into the state with Everett Golson at Florida State and Malik Zaire at Florida. If you're at UCF, you're kind of hoping it's more toward the Golson side than Malik Zaire, which did not pan out at Florida. But we'll I'll, I'll, what t- I'll tell you the season that I think – is really interesting from this perspective. I don't think it's 2019. I think it's 2020. Because by that time, Brandon Wimbush will have expired his eligibility one way or the other. We have no idea about whether Mackenzie Milton will ever come back to play. I know that I, I know that I've seen you know, I see the Instagram posts too, and God bless this kid for 
for working out and trying his hardest to get back. If anyone can, like I've said before, if anyone can get back from an injury that devastating, it's him. But that's still, I mean, people, I think like UCF fans are kind of treating this like it's like, oh, he'll be back. That is no guarantee. So I think the interesting part is if you're Daryl Mack, what do you do? Do you stick around and maybe take it and maybe take a shot at 2020? If you if you lose the job this year, do you stick around and maybe take a shot at 2020? Uh, or is it or is it or does it become Dylan Gabriel time? Um, in or much the same way else. that could be another transfer or, or somebody else, transfer. right? I mean, this is the new landscape now in college football. Look what's happened at Oklahoma. Jalen Hurts going to Oklahoma. That's their another yeah. transfer going to Oklahoma for Lincoln Riley. Look at Ohio State. What's happened there? Uh, with Martell leaving there to go to Miami because Justin Fields goes to Ohio State because Haskins is leaving early. Mm-hmm. Um, the I dominoes, man. Football, it's free. It is. Uh, so I think to assume anything for 2020 is is at this point is just naive because we don't need any things will change. It, whether it's Milton, whether it's Mac, it could be a tra- even if, you know it could be a transfer, another transfer that may be interested in coming to UCF for 2020. We just don't know. We don't know how these freshmen are. Um, so I think, unfortunately, uh, the the way the sport's going, especially in that position, I think it's a year to year sport now. As far as okay, who's going to be on this roster? More than likely, because with the new transfer portal rule, guys can transfer in a moment. Look at Texas. Texas is about to lose two quarterbacks, uh, including Shane Bouchelle, who just entered the portal on Wednesday night. Um, and it's it's going to be interesting how the NCAA and college athletics is going to address this. Because I don't know if they envisioned this much movement when this rule got uh, passed. Um, and it's not just football. Yeah. It's other sports. Basketball. I know in softball it's a very hot topic because in softball it's not like you you don't have to sit out a year. So you, we've had a ton of players literally transfer in the fall and be eligible right away in January to play for a different school. And so there's a lot of uh, controversy over that in the softball side. Football, you you tend to have to sit out, but unless you graduate, which is obviously the loophole now is the graduate rule. Uh, so we'll see. I, I, you know, I, who knows? I mean, that's the thing. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I'll tell you this to put, to kind of allude to that, what you're saying, Jeff, who's to say that a Quadri Jones or Dylan Gabriel, or even Mac will be here in 2020. Would it shock you if one of them left? I wouldn't. True. Well, yeah, that, that is, that, that is the landscape, right? You can't be shocked. If anybody right. leaves. And I would also like to say, on top of that, anybody who has a problem with players leaving and transferring uh, it, with all this movement uh, needs to shut up and get smarter. I um, agree. I agree with you. Because, because well, why should – yeah. I mean, wait, sorry to interrupt, Brian. But, like, why is it that we get angry about football players transferring where if you happen to not be a football player, you can transfer wherever the hell you want, whenever you want? The same reason that we get upset that, you know, about players, you know, complaining about contract money, even though it's millions of dollars in the pro in pro sports, because it's not fair market that we should we, we should be on their side because it's not fair market. Right. It's, it's, and also it's it's it's, the, it's, it's, it's why, not like you know why people you know why fans are you know why people get upset about because they're selfish. That's why. <laughs> oh, yeah. No different than it goes when a player well, turns pro. It's not, no, it's no different yeah. than when a player turns pro. They're like, why are you turning early so early? You're not that highly rated. A, I've seen that. I've seen some of the every time a UCF player turns pro early, it's like, well, why are you turning pro? I don't. You're not a first round guy. You're not a why. Why not come back? Well, yeah, <laughs> right. maybe for you that benefits you, but maybe for the player, it's like I just want to move on. You know, yeah, and, right. Um, 
I've sit in my ceiling. That's why fans are people are just selfish in general. They want you know, don't leave type of deal. Uh, but that goes back to why <laughs> they're I, selfish, I, and they want the other guys to, and, and they want the guys to not be selfish. That's the irony of right. it. You know, we only want them to leave when it's under our terms. Oh, you stink! Get out of here. We want right. you fight. That's it. That's yeah. why. That's Tra- really what it's all. Kind of about. like, kind of like, uh, it reminds me of like Jeff Driscoll when he left Florida, and um, and Florida fans were like, good, good riddance, get out of here. And then he goes to Louisiana Tech. He actually right. turns. He actually gets out of that toxic environment that he was in in Gainesville. Has a pretty decent senior year, and now he's in the NFL, and he's making a pretty good, pretty good uh, living for himself. Started a few games for the Bengals, so I, I, I you know, I, I don't see. Yeah, I, I don't you're not going to get any argument from me on that. Cry about it. I mean, especially if you're a graduate. I mean, that's the thing I like about Wimbush, by the way. The kid graduated out of Notre Dame. Like, yeah, pretty quickly. Got, yeah, he got his yeah. he got his degree in four years, and 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 I think what was what was cool was, and you probably saw this too, Brian was. The reaction to his announcement was from the Notre Dame side, very positive. Um, thank you so much for your four years. We're going to miss you around here. You know, class act, you know, team player, all that kind of stuff. And then on his Instagram post, um, and we had found this like in quick succession, who posted on Wimbush's Instagram message was Mackenzie Milton, Daryl Mack, Gabe Davis, Jordan Johnson. And they were all like, "All right, welcome aboard. Let's go." You know, and I think that's the the Mac one. I think was also pretty interesting because he also um, he, he also sent something out on Twitter that I'll find for you a little bit later. But um, Mac seemed to be openly welcoming the competition, and uh, and that I think was actually for, you know for me was encouraging to see you know that these guys at least <laughs> at least are showing the um, are are showing the. At least publicly, that you know, it's all about you know what what how can we get better, you know. So, um, I don't know. What did you think about the reaction? Am I reading too much into that or what? Yeah, you're reading no, too much. I mean, what you, I mean, that's what players are going to say. I don't really. I mean, what did you expect yeah. them to say? No, oh. I, I can't believe you're here. Don't. Well, he, yeah. Well, oh, oh, here's here's what Daryl Max said. It's uh, he retweeted somebody who said, "I'm from the seven five seven. We don't get nervous." And uh, and Daryl Mack retweeted that and said. Big facts! Exclamation point. So the seven five seven area code, by the way, is I believe that is his home area code. Is that right? Yeah, Virginia. So uh, I mean, Mac's a good. I mean, obviously the way Mac handled the whole Milton situation, class act, and making sure he was involved throughout the whole journey, it's really important. So it's all good uh, on that. But look, it's a big move for UCF a necessity on the field because what you don't want if you're Josh Hyper, you don't want what happened to Scott Frost in Nebraska where. You name your starting quarterback, and then the week of your opener against Colorado, your backup quarterback just tells you, oh, I'm leaving because I didn't win my job, and now you're thin at the quarterback position, and then your quarterback gets hurt, and now you're dealing with walk-on quarterbacks for like two or three games and probably cost you a bowl game. Yeah. Um, and that's the nature of the beast right now. You've got There's never enough depth at the quarterback, so um, because yeah. it could change now with the landscape in a dime. More and more players now will move on to play. If they feel they can't play somewhere else, they're going to move somewhere else because it's a lot easier to do that and there's more options now. So um, I think it was a necessity move from their standpoint and it'll benefit them because they're going to get the best quarterback to play on that team, whether it be Wimbush. And if it's Mac, then, you know, then Mac will play. And I think Wimbush will help him out too. And I think that's why Mac uh, is, you know, is fine with Wimbush coming in because they can help each other out and be better at the end of the day, whether it be at UCF or elsewhere. 
Real quick, Murph, percent. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. You ask the question. Go oh, I was, I was going to say, what do, you, what do you think is a percentage chance that Wimbush is starting on opening day? Um. Oh, Jesus. Uh. God. What? What? January. Um, <laughs> I know. I know. I'm putting you on the spot anyway. Go ahead. 50 50 50 oh, oh, I don't care about that question. <laughs> I hate that question. I actually I'm going to I'm going to absolutely throw that question out the door and and follow it by saying I wonder no matter who starts whether it's Mac or Wimbush if the other guy isn't somehow sprinkled into the game plan uh for a few That's plays a per week because of the because of their running ability because of their athleticism and because of their experience this isn't like Quadra Jones that they could be sprinkled in in some facet throughout the game. And uh, especially if Max starts, because if they're not going to let Wimbush just sit on the bench. So certainly I think Wimbush has an edge because he, he has more urgency because he's a, he's a graduate senior, whereas Mac would be a redshirt sophomore. But, uh, but let's say Mac wins, they're going to involve Wimbush. I mean, they, you can't let that, that sort of athleticism just sit on the bench. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. Uh, Mac is a little bit bigger than Wimbush, but um, that doesn't mean that Wimbush is small. He's six two. He's no. two hundred and twenty pounds. He's you know he's he's pretty big. He can and we know he can throw the ball. So I it's just interesting. And I, and I yeah I do think that this is an indication of you know where UCF is now. I personally think that that the whole thing of like oh wow look at this we got a Notre Dame quarterback that that talking point's a little overrated. It doesn't necessarily mean that you know. That you know, guys are going to be leaving Michigan, Ohio State, Florida, Georgia, and Alabama to come here all of a sudden. Um, but it, you know, because it's because to me it's a case by case basis. But um, but you know, nonetheless, I think it, yeah. I mean, okay, you guys have convinced me. Competition's a good thing. Uh, I'm going to be interested to see uh, how he performs. Now he is enrolled at UCF. Is that right? For yeah. the spring? No, yeah, he's starting. He's starting. I think right away. Isn't he? I think he's starting this week. Yeah. I so. Believe. Um, so, well, he's going to have some makeup work in some of his classes, but, um, he, uh, but that means we'll see him in the spring, in the spring, in spring football and in the spring game. So, yeah. uh, at least we might get, I don't know, maybe we will, maybe we won't, but we'll get at least a taste of what, uh, Brandon Wimbush looks like. So where, where are you, how are you handicapping it since you asked Merv, you handy, what's your handicap right now? Yeah. See, I put Murph on the spot, and then you put me on the spot. Um, <laughs> That's right. Wait, wait, how can you put him on the spot? You asked the question. I know, putting him on the spot? I know. Well, That's here I... Works, Murph. Well, you gotta, you gotta oh, heaven forbid, him. heaven forbid, I assume you have more insight than me, Brian Murphy. Um, <laughs> uh, talk about a left-handed compliment. Um, I think there's probably a 55% chance of Wimbush getting the start. Wow, you guys are really bold, man. Real bold. <laughs> fifty-five. That's really rough. Yeah, fifty-five. Fine, I'll be the bold one. Okay, I go say ahead. You're, you usually are. You're, you're, yeah, you're the hot take master right here. Go for it. What you got? All right. Ninety yeah. percent chance Wimbush is your starter by Stanford. Okay. By Stanford. I will, Interesting. I will say I this. Both, I think both I, will play. I agree with Murph. By the way, real quick, Murph. I agree hundred percent what you're saying. Yeah. I think both will play. I think they're. I think Josh Heupel will find ways to play both. In certain packages, I think you're going to see both of them in the FAMU game, and uh, you're going to see, in fact, you're going to see a million quarterbacks in that FAMU game. So enjoy that game. All right? <laughs> uh, They're going to put you in there. <laughs> they might play everybody there. Uh, Hayden, but I, is Hayden Kingston available? Hayden Kingston. Maybe uh, he could play there. But I, I, I don't think we're going to know the true starter honestly. And I don't. It's not. I think internally they'll know who the starter is, but I wonder if they'll play coy 
early in the year with FAMU and FAU where they really doesn't matter who plays the quarterback. They'll win those two games and maybe try to uh, kind of play a possum there going into that Stanford game. I really do. All right. I would, I would just like to say that my 50% answer isn't really based on any sort of insight more than my, ab, my, my more sort of objective abhorrence to the actual question. That's all. <laughs> objective abhorrence. Jeez Louise, man. Wow. It was a protest Ooh. vote. <laughs> all right. Well, um, well, hey, welcome to Brandon Wimbush. Hope you enjoy your time here at UCF as a grad student. So uh should be fun. All right. Let's, uh, well, you know, now that we're rolling on through is where our spring sports are getting ready to fire up. Uh, and as we wrap things up, what are you guys working on uh, this week? And Eric Lopez, I'll start with you. Well, I'm going to encourage you to tune in to uh, the most recent In the Circle on Fast Pitch News podcast that I host as well on the side when I'm not on this podcast. It's a softball podcast. And the reason is I recently had an interview with former UCF head coach Renee Lores Gillespie. I joined, uh, went to an Iowa practice. They were in Florida for a week. And I had a chance to talk to Coach Gillespie. And uh, among the topics we talked about the influence that a former UCF men's basketball coach had in uh, helping uh, her ending up at Iowa, which we, you can put the dots in together. Tune in to that uh, episode. You can follow that on In the Circle SB on uh, Twitter. And that's on all the same podcast formats. You can listen to that. So that's on there right now. As far as the banneret, we're going to continue our Hall of Fame series. Uh, we yep. just uh, put in a, a recent article there where Quincy McDuffie, who you covered, Jeff. Yep. Uh, I, you know, we think he should be a Hall of Famer. He, you know, before Adrian Killings, like, and I thought you made a great point. Uh, Quincy McDuffie was Adrian Killings <laughs> to yeah. some extent. He's the fastest guy on the field. Uh, awesome special teams player, kick returner, and uh, I think he should be honored down the road there. And we'll continue to honor some of the other play athletes that uh, we think should be in, honored by UCF down the road with for the Hall of Fame. Whatever, if that returns, or if not, a ring of honor. Well, how about you, Murph? What you got? Well, I really, uh, if you go back and you can, you can go back and, and, and uh, read what I just said in an article about the <laughs> Wichita State game. I literally put up 900 words on uh, this morning. Content and synergy, why, baby. That's what it's all about. It, it's why I sound like I'm being strangled because I have no voice because I'm running on like lack of sleep. Somebody, I need to IV, I need to have an IV coffee drip right now. It's really that bad. Uh, I need, I need to also delve into second half, Aubrey. Uh, we've asked Coach Dawkins and Aubrey himself about this sort of what is happening. Uh, I, I will say that the answers are not very satisfying, but I will write that up because this is a thing. And I want to sort of delve into how much of a thing this actually is. because It feels like 75% of Aubrey Dawkins' offense comes after the halftime, which is absurd. And I don't know if I have an answer for it, but I'll try. Uh, and then I'll be at the uh, game on uh saturday against tulsa i don't know it's now thursday i don't know if we'll have uh basketball media availability on friday maybe uh that that is up to dan forcella who i do know listens to this podcast (laughs) so uh hopefully dan can shoot me a line on that boy this is this is some salty murph happening on this podcast man he is calling people out it's unbelievable i'm not not calling i'm not i'm not not calling dan out i am not calling dan out no but you're calling me out i'll call you out all day for stupid questions (laughs) who's starting who's your starting quarterback nine months before the season starts get out of here thanks coach saban (laughs) so quit asking (laughs) yeah right 
I'm on to Cincinnati. I don't know about you. Uh, <laughs> but so we'll see. We'll see if we have availability on Friday. That'd be fun. We'll go Are from you there. Around for the women's game? That's the question. You to do the double dip? I'll probably be in the back writing an article at the time. I, I, I guarantee it. I will be there when the women's game is over. But only because that's because I'm I'm in the back. I'll be I'll be there for at least part of the men's game because I know I have to arrive you know early anyway for the women's game. So I'm you know yeah I'll probably show up there, um show up there pretty early. So uh yeah I mean it's it's gonna be a busy Saturday. By the way, I love the fact that we do double headers. You know I wish we did more. Yeah, second week in a row to some extent. Yeah, I know. So all right, I remember we discussed that a couple years ago on the know, podcast. I about, yeah, remember that. Look at that. We've already changed UCF policy on some Dark things. Right. Look at that. Man, unbelievable. All right. <laughs> Let's wrap this thing up. Don't forget to follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com uh, for all the latest uh, for uh, UCF sports. We are part of SB Nation. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore banneret and follow us each individually at Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez Elo, and Spokes underscore Murphy. Facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast if you don't already on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and tune in. Uh, thanks again to uh, from one foot down the managing editor and emperor and supreme warlord. That's his actual title, Joshua Voles, for joining us uh, on that. Murph, Make sure you gotta get a title like that, Murph. I- <laughs> that is good. I'm going to steal that. I'm That's not even going to pick a new one. I'm just going to take that one. Um, you can follow him, by the way, at the Subway Domer, the Subway Domer on Twitter. Follow One Foot Down at One Foot Down um, as well. Thanks, as always, to our buddy Sam Unger for all of his support, and thanks to you, the fans, for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. For Eric and Brian, I'm Jeff. Uh, enjoy the weekend of basketball coming up, and we'll see you next week.